This podcast is presented to you by Pastors Tom and Bonnie DeShal from Celebration Church in Harare, Zimbabwe. For more information, please visit celebrationmen.org. I'm picking up from where Pastor Tom and Pastor Milton left off. Restore us, O oh God. I think it's a cry that you and I have because we were saved when we gave our lives to the Lord. We are being saved. When he shall return, we shall be saved. We are work in progress. There are areas in our lives where we feel we are there. But if truth was to be told, there are areas also in our life where we know we are far from it. And if we take the right disposition before God, it's amazing how God, through the power of the Holy Spirit, will begin to work a work in us and perfect us to the place where we'll be able to fulfill the destiny that he has for us. You see, you are his workmanship, Ephesians 2 verse 10, created in Christ Jesus for good works that he prepared beforehand that you may walk in them. I may sound rhetoric or grade one stuff, but I always want to remind myself as I'm reminding you this morning to say that you are a man or a woman on a mission. You need to redeem the time. And you need to walk wisely. And as I stand before you, I do not deem myself to be higher or better than you. It's just my turn that has been afforded to me to be able to speak to you. Because I believe God has a deposit that he has laid on me to pass on to you. For some, it is a reminder. For some, it is probably a wake-up call. For some, they are hearing it for the first time. But I want you to know this morning that you never need demean yourself. You are special in the eyes of God. God is counting on you to arrive. Throughout the conference, we say the whole world or the whole earth is waiting for the true manifestation of the sons of God. We are waiting for your manifestation. We are waiting for you to arrive so that we can see the real you. What we are beholding right now might not be a full vision or the intended vision of God. And so as we go into the book of Psalm chapter 80, we come across the children of Israel and they are crying, restore us, oh God, restore us. This is a cry by a people that have tasted of the grace, of the goodness, of the power of God. And they begin to make a demand on God. God, where are you? And I want to believe even this morning there are some of us who are at that place. But I'll quickly read Psalm 80. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock, you who dwell between the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim, Benjamin, and Manasseh, stay up your strength and come and save us. Restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine and we shall be saved. O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? How long will you be angry with the prayer of your people? I will not finish off. If you've been here the past two weeks or last week, I'm sure you've gone through the text. But how possibly can God be angry with the prayers of his people? I would have thought God himself, if anything, is waiting to have discourse and conversation with us because that's what he desires, intimacy with us. We know when we studied the book of Genesis that he would come in the cool of the day looking for Adam so that he can have intimacy. But in this portion of scripture, God is angry. He is angry at the prayers of his people. Multimedia, if you can help me, if you just jump to slide number three, I'll come back to slide number four. Maybe go to number four. 
You see, the reality is when we begin to offer prayers that are an abomination to God, when we begin to offer prayers that are not a, that are not a sweet fragrance before God, our prayers become an abomination before God. So when we read the book of Proverbs 15, verse 8, it says, the Lord detests the sacrifice of the wicked, but he delights in the prayers of the upright. The Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears, he hears the prayers of the righteous. When I studied, I'm in love with the book of Psalm. When I studied the book of Psalm, Psalm 46, the Bible says, for Jehovah is an ever-present help. He is an ever-present help in an hour of need. When I studied Psalm 40, it says, this poor man cried unto the Lord. The Lord hearkened unto the prayers. You study throughout the scripture, Jehovah is ready to hear. But what stands in the way of us, between us and God, may be issues that we have not resolved. And so the hand of the Lord is not short to save. Neither are his ears deaf that they cannot hear, Isaiah says. But it is always when we are not in right standing with him that our prayers become detestable before God. Our prayers become a nuisance before God. When we talk about restoration, as far as I'm concerned, the ultimate restoration is when we come into right relationship with the Lord. That is the, right, the, the ultimate restoration. Because in him we live, we move, we have our being. You see, in him, John chapter 15, we begin to flourish because when we are attached to him, we reach our full fruition. And he co continues to prune us so that we can bear much, for, much more fruit. And not only fruit, but fruit that remains. Amen. Beloved, you and I, we are on assignment. I'm praying for myself. If there's a challenge that I've had this week, as I was studying the book of Mark, I began to ask myself, are you ready? Because he is coming again. Yeah. Oh, friends, Jesus, Jesus is coming again. The question is, are you ready? The question is, have you dispensed of the grace that has been apportioned and entrusted to you? So that when you shall meet him, you can gladly anticipate that he will say to you, welcome, my faithful and my good servant. Are you, are you also contributing in making others ready as well? Because we don't want anyone to be left behind. I began to think about my sons, my three sons and my daughter. I began to think about my relationship with my wife, those that are within my sphere of influence. Have I truly done due diligence? in as far as the grace that has been apportioned to me. Never mind I stand on a Sunday, regular meetings are afforded me as a minister of the gospel, but in my individuality, do I go out of my way to be intentional in winning the souls that God entrusts to me? Because it may be the only opportunity that they will get when they come into my space. Maybe the day I'm meeting them is the only day that they have. So the psalmist cries and he says, Lord, Against the prayer of your, how long will you be angry against the prayer of your people? You know, he begins to explain in this particular psalm that we are exposed. We have become a laughing stock. People are having their way with us. Where are you, oh God? Initially, I intended to share my story before I jumped in as I did. It's my nature. Forgive me, I always say, to, I don't know why Pastor Tom entrusts me. It's in my nature in as much as I have all my notes to just speak from my heart and to impart. Because gone are the days when I used to preach sermons. Now I'm about imparting life. If I can minister to one person and lose everyone else, it's okay. If I've come for that one particular person and I do due diligence, 
Oh, may Jehovah be praised. I began to look at my life up to where I am. Now I'm saying, Lord, but why me today? It's not the first time for me to be on the pulpit, on this pulpit. I've been in the evening sessions. But on a Sunday morning, Lord, what are you saying? What would you have me say to your congregation on this Sunday morning? I wish I had not asked that because then my whole week was very traumatic so that I would be able to bear the burdens that some of you have. My kids, I took some of my kids. It was Tuesday. They were detained in hospital. The third one, Wednesday, got the same attack. Thursday, it was now my turn. That's my, why my voice is a bit funny like this. Yesterday, I'm running to another strategy meeting for one of our churches in the province. The little fuel that I managed to salvage so that I can get to the venue. I'm trying to rush to be on time. The fuel spills over into my whole car. My wife only got to know about it this morning. I didn't want to nag her with that because it was her car. And I had to dash into a car wash so that they start, you know, cleaning it up and sprucing it up so that it looks proper. Beloved, we need God to come through for us on a daily basis. You see, when you cannot relate with what people are saying, you can sound so lofty, even when you read this song. It may sound so out of touch because you don't live there. Oh, I was about to give an example. Let me give it. I remember in one of the churches that I've had a privilege to be one of the leaders. There's a guy who stood up one day and said, Pastor, how can a fully grown man say that they've run out of money, they don't even have $5 in their pocket? And as God would have it the following week, he ran out of fuel and he had no dime. And so I was the one who had to come and bail him out. And when I got there, he said to me, Pastor, I repent. I think I'll be the first one to assist anyone who says they've run out of anything. It truly can happen to a fully grown man. I want to jump on to Psalm 77 because that is where really I'm going to take most of my notes from. And I like, I like the message Bible. We're talking about desperation. We're talking about the reality, which is the examples that I'm giving you. But maybe before I go there, we see the psalmist here is appealing to the good shepherd who leads Joseph like a flock. You can bring up the slides. Let me do justice to the slides. He's appealing to the good shepherd. When you study Psalm 22, when you study Psalm 23, when you study Psalm 24, Psalm 22 is talking about the good shepherd. Psalm 23 is talking about the great shepherd. But Psalm 24 is always talking about the sheep, chief shepherd. And in this particular psalm, the psalmist is appealing to the good shepherd who says, I am the shepherd. My sheep, they hear my voice. And as God is a good shepherd, there is no way he's going to lead you and I into funny places. No wonder in Psalm 23, David says, the Lord, the Lord, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack anything. And this is the question that I've asked myself, if really I am in, in lack, or if really I've been marginalized, could it be I've left or I've lost my connection and my relationship with the good shepherd? So I like the psalmist that he begins to appeal to the shepherd. He says, you who shepherds Israel like a flock, you before whom Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh stay up your strength and come and he begins, Pastor Tom mentions this, because these particular tribes were the part of the squadron that would stand before the ark. And whenever the children of Israel would move in the wilderness, 
God would wreak havoc against the enemy camp because these people were steadfast in upholding their roles. He appeals to the mercy seat. He says, you who dwells between the cherubim. Because in an hour of judgment, oh, we need mercy. Oh, someone didn't hear me. I said in an hour and in a time of judgment, when you are guilty as charged and you know you should be going to the dungeons, you better plead for mercy. And so I like the psalmist, he begins to plead upon the mercy seat and he says, you who dwells between the cherubim, may you have mercy, oh God. How, how long shall you be angry? Psalm 77, let's go there now. I like Psalm 77. And I'm going to take it from the Message Bible, if you can bring it up on the slide. This is the reality of pain. This is the reality of desperation. He says, I yell out to God. I yell with all my might. I yell at the top of my lungs. He listens. I found myself in trouble and went looking for my Lord. My life was an open wound which wouldn't heal. When friends said everything will turn out all right, I didn't believe a word they said. I remembered God, and I shook my head. I was memorying. Then I wringed my hands. I'm awake all night. Not a wink of sleep. I can't, I can't even say what's bothering me. I go over the days one by one. I ponder the years gone by. I strum my loot all through the night, wondering how to get my life together. Will the Lord walk off and leave us for good? Will he never smile again? Is his love one thread bare? Has his salvation promise burned out? Has God forgotten his manners? Oh my. Has God forgotten his manners? Has he angrily stalked off and left us? Just my luck, I said. The high God goes out of business just the moment I need him. <laughs> How can God go out of business when he says I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you when he says law law I'm with you even to the end of the ages that is the God that we worship but the psalmist begins to cry he is in pain he says it's an open wound I don't know who has a situation like that this morning you've been to church I can relate to that you have done all they said you need to do Oh, you have done the three-day fast, the seven-day fast, or the 21 you have done. You are about to do the 40-day fast. You think it's in that. No, it's not in that. Amen. Like Pastor Tommy said, you can have all the bishops and the pastors, the reverends, even their wives to pray and intercede for you. Oh, no, it's not going to cut it. So the psalmist says, has God gone out of business just when I need him? Now, if we were to be brutally honest, all of us, there are moments we feel like that. There are moments we feel God is not there. And so we begin to become philosophical. We begin to have interesting explanations. Oh, that is when we become so religious. And we begin to say, God is trying to teach me a lesson. No, God is not trying to teach you a lesson, my brother. My sister is not. It's amazing how you become a theologian overnight. And some of you, you begin to come to church, but if truth was to be told, you are not even present. Because they have said all the scriptures, you have mimicked the scriptures, but there is no reality in those scriptures. What a place to be. 
So I like the psalmist in Psalm 80. Three times he utters, restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine on us. Verse number three. If you go to verse number seven, restore us, O God. Cause your face to shine on us and we will be saved. Or the third time should be verse 19. He says, restore us, O God of hosts. Cause your face to shine on us and we shall be saved. I don't know if you are here. Whenever I talk of the word salvation, I think of the word sozo. Salvation is salvation in its completeness. It is spirit, soul, and body. You can't tell me you are saved when you are so broke and you are so pitiful. In fact, when you came to church, they had to help you to come to church. It was good riddance for them. And they are waiting for you to come with your philosophies. The God that I worship is a God who saves in every aspect of my life. Because that is what the book of 3 John says. Beloved, I wish above all things you may prosper in all things, even as your soul prospers. What kind of a God are you worshiping? A God who is deaf? A God who does not hear? No, that's not my God. My God hears prayer. My God stretches his right hand. My God intervenes. My God rearranges my life. He lifts me up from the dust. He sets my feet on the rock to stand. He always puts a new song in my heart to sing praise to God. That is my God. And I will not continually talk about the testimony of five years, eight years ago. No, that's an old testimony. I can't talk of a testimony of three years ago or one year ago. No, that is now archaic. I can't talk of a testimony of six months ago. If you're still talking about that one six months ago, my brother, you need restoration. I need to be talking about a testimony. I need to be sharing about the now testimony because he's the same yesterday. He's the same today. He's the same forevermore. Whenever there's a crisis in my life, it is an opportunity for me to see the restoration of God. It is an opportunity for me to see and to learn and to know God like I've never known God before. In Shona, I say, Kukanama, as if flies are about to enter your mouth. God will cause you to open your mouth in awe like this. Why? Because he'll cause you to see a different facet of him like you have never seen. No wonder, no wonder, some of you, when we say raise your hands, you can't raise those hands because it's an oxymoron. For you, you are saying, you are God. But in your heart, you know, I wonder if there's another God who really hears prayer. May God help us this morning. I forwards, I forwards, which I'm going to use today. I'm done with my key introduction. And it was long. Realization or recall. Essentials to restoration, until and unless there is a realization, there is a recollection, and until through that realization, recalling, or revelation, until that leads to conviction, then there is no follow through to it. Because when a realization sets in, it is inevitable that you bow down like Peter did. We heard from Pastor Milton last week. That when Peter witnessed the good hand of the Lord, after they had toiled all night, and at the sound of the word of Jesus, and he said, throw your nest the other side, they caught an avalanche of blessing. 
And Peter could not help after seeing by realization, he could not help but kneel down and say, away from me. I am a sinner. Away from me. You see, when you see by revelation, when you grasp by the inside from on high, you begin to fully fathom this God that we worship. You cannot help but realign in humility and begin to seek God properly. All this year is a year of speaking and decreeing the word and the will of God. You then have to begin to reverberate, to resound, to echo God's will. And as you begin to echo the will of God, restoration becomes your portion. What is restoration? Restoration is not going to the same or same or like it used to be in the old days. No. Restoration is when we go to God's original intent, as I alluded to opening Ephesians 2 verse 10. Oh, I'm tempted to go there. I know it's one of my slides right towards the end, but I'll quickly pull it up. For we are God's, this is the amplified version, for we are God's own handiwork. We are his workmanship. Notice, recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, which God planned beforehand for us, taking parts which he prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life which he prepared and made ready for us to live. Or oh, nudge your neighbor, say there's a good life. Uh, you are not convinced. I knew I was speaking to the right people, so I'm in the right church today. Nudge them, say there's a good life. You know, we are promised by Paul, and Jesus mentions it as well. It's Jesus actually. He says, in this world you'll have many tribulations, but be of good cheer. Because I've overcome the world. You see, it is inevitable that situations will come. But you see, you need to change your disposition. You need to change your approach. Because problems and crises come as an opportunity for you to experience the higher God that you have not known. Oh, you didn't get what I said. I said when a crisis comes your way, if you change your disposition, your stance, your perception, your viewpoint... You'll see it as an opportunity to see the bigger God. The question is, where is your address? Oh, when I was ministering as a young, in my early uh, adult life, I liked, liked this book, I'll look for it, which was called Praise Avenue. I think it was Louis Gossett who wrote it or something like that. The question is, are you living in Praise Avenue? Are you living in Prayer Avenue? Are you living, which is your address? You need to change that disposition, that address. Because you see, when you are at the right address, you can begin to mimic Habakkuk, though the fig tree does not blossom, though there are no pigs in the pan, though the cattle are running out, I will yet praise my God. And so you bring confusion into the enemy camp. When you should be worrying, when you should be... You are busy praising your God. And that releases what the psalmist uttered, the last, the last repeat when he says, Lord of hosts. It releases the Lord to dispatch the angelic host to begin to work on your behalf. You forget that you have angels that are assigned to you. Oh, let me repeat. Oh, I almost said it in Shona. I said you are not someone that people should mess about with. Because when you move, 
there are people that have been entrusted to you. Read Psalm 91, verse 11. When you move, there are people, angelic hosts. You don't know because you take it for granted. But you are such a force. There is a grace, there is an anointing, there is a presence you carry. When you access any presence, there is something that changes. Oh, it reminds me the day that they forced me to go to that nganga. It was in our family, I was the only one that stood up. And my go-go, my mom's mom said, Saka, so Jones, you have decided that you don't want to be part of the processes. And I said, yes, I will not be. And she said, so everything, it, the case will come on you. And I said, bring it on, go-go. With all due respect, I love you, but what you are saying, I will not do. I remember in one of the occasions, they forced me to go to the gang. Things came to a standstill. And the witch doctor said, who is that young man in that red T-shirt? And I thought you were, I thought they were still talking about me. He said, no, I mean you. Can you please evict this young man so that we can do business here? As long as this young man is here, we are not going to do business. You underestimate, you underestimate the arsenal that you carry and that is at your disposal. You have heightened the devil so much, yet the devil is not a match for God. He is a creation of God. That is why when Jesus went about his business, he never mentioned those things. He came with the kingdom. And it was them that would manifest when he enters the space, what have you to do with us, Jesus? He never... <laughs> oh my, oh my, oh my. Restore us, oh God. Oh, who wants to be restored this morning? I need restoration. I'm telling you, I'm not done. I was supposed, I've said this in this church, I'm saying it for the 14th or the umpteenth time, I was supposed to have died in 1988. I don't know how old a person who was born in 1988 is, but I was in high school. That's when I was supposed to have died. But when I'm here at this my age, knocking towards 50, don't be fooled by this. It's my wife who is doing a good job. Oh, give it up for Pastor Ivy. Oh, she is doing a good job. It is now this boldy that is kind of beginning to tell that times, yeah, it's been a while. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> I was supposed to have died in 88. God calls me to do ministry in 1994. I'm now in my early 20s. I refused to do full time until 2008. 2008 is when I left the corporate world and I said, yes, finally, Lord, I'm doing it. Because I never wanted to be, because of my trust issues, I never wanted to be at the mercy of the congregation. My fellow guys who were pastors, you could tell they are pastors by the nature of their shoes and the nature of their shoes. And I said, I will not have them determine my lifestyle. Lord, I'll preach your word. So I started preaching 94 until 208 but on a part-time basis. But I regret the time that I lost. That is why I preach the way I'm preaching, as if highly unstructured. No, because I'm not about sermons. I'm redeeming my time. I'm making use of the time that I have so that when I shall stand before him, I'll say, Daddy, I did my part. I said that which you entrusted me. I love it when I read John chapter 17 and Jesus Christ is about to go. He says, Lord, everything that you entrusted me, I have kept except the son of perdition. Oh, what a prayer. 
Whenever he is praying, he says, Lord, I thank you because you always hear me. But I pray for the sake of these ones. <laughs> oh, my. May God restore that relationship with God so that as you begin to have discourse with God, as you begin to have dialogue with God, you are not trying to untwist God. You are not trying to convince God. You are praying the will of God. You are reverberating. You are echoing. You are resounding. That which the angelic hosts have been waiting for. You see, your problem is you have been praying the wrong prayers. Oh, ouch. You think you are alone. I'm one of them. Pastor Tom says it this way. You may get what you want, but you may not want what you get. You are busy. I'm twisting God. Oh, I need to get married this year. Who told you it is this year? You know, I need to start my business this year. Who told you it is this year? Do you know the times and the seasons of your life? You see, I'm speaking as one who has missed the bus. Oh, let me tell you, I've missed the bus. This is my last opportunity. That is why I preach like this. I'm trying to go so that I can align with where I should be. Because if I had left in 94, and by the way, that is when I started following Pastor Tom. You see, where I was ministering, young man, I'm not married. I know little, but God says I can work with this. I'm saying, Lord, but how can you work with an empty, shallow tank like this? He says, no, I just want willing hands, willing hearts. I just want your availability. So guess what I'll do? I'll take time off when it is action conference. If you come to my house, I have VHS steps, action breakthrough. A.R. Bernard is there. Oh, Dr. Ed Cole is there. All the speakers from 94, I'm not part of the church. From 94 until I joined this church, 2000, I have the whole history because I would feast on that. And when I get there, I've run out of preaching. I say, can, can we just watch this session? I think it is explained better, you know, because I've run out <laughs> God can use, can work with what you have. You see, there were people at that institution seasoned, but they what? They were not willing. They were not obedient. They were not available. God will work with the highly underrated, and he will bring the best out of that. Oh, may you begin. May you begin to reverberate. Turn to your neighbor say reverberate. No, I just use arras. It's my way when I'm teaching for you to remember. You are supposed to realize. You are supposed to repent. You are supposed to reverberate so that you can be restored. Uh, of course, you remember all that. Because for, you can forget everything I've said, but at least you remember that until there is a repentance, there is no restoration. Because if my people who are called by my name, if they will humble themselves and seek my face, if they turn away from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will hear. I will restore. I will heal. Beloved, it's a promise. I'm about to finish. It's a promise. Oh, you didn't hear me. I said it's a promise. If you belong to this church, you are now studying the book of First Corinthians. Wow. Wow, I'm just loving it. I, I, I'm just a student of the Bible. When you begin to taste the power of God, not the wisdom of man, when you begin to appreciate that Christ has become unto us wisdom, he has become unto us right standing or righteousness. He has become unto us sanctification. He has become unto us redemption. You are on your way to restoration. Because in Christ you are made complete. Am I in the right church this morning? 
Turn to your neighbor, say Christ alone. Oh, come on, say Christ alone. You see, because in Christ, that's where you derive the blood, which Psalm 80 has alluded to, the mercy seat. By the blood, we have access. You see, through Christ, we have the word of God. Because this is very progressional. The initial is the blood. But the progressive now is the word of God. But you need the spirit of God for the full work to come to completion. Because like Pastor Tom alluded to, it is impossible for you to live the Christian life without the empowerment thereof. Oh, 88 to 94, I've shared with people, was tough for me. Because I would read the Bible, but I was in Romans 7. And so you come to those meetings. You watch them even as they are praying. You know, people pray and people do all sorts of things. You end up not praying, you watch them. Because you want to learn maybe they are doing something that you are not doing. Maybe that might help you. It was so frustrating for me. It was so frustrating for me. Until Easter 94, I'm at Race to Heaven camp. And that is when I got my call. They say, have you, when you got born again, did you receive the infilling of the Holy Ghost with the evidence of speaking in tongues? Well, I remember a friend of mine for two years we had been battling. And I would say to him, I will not speak in those tongues. What makes you think when you are speaking in tongues, you are more holier? You know, and I had my own reasons. But now I'm arrested and I said, I need that. I want that. You know, the Holy Spirit will come to those who desire him. And I'm telling you, you cannot do this life and be restored without the agency of the Holy Spirit. That is why Christ in John 14, John 16 says, it is expedient, it is to your benefit that I go away. Because if I go away, the one who will come will be able to bring the restoration. I was prayed for, cut a long story short, I started speaking in tongues. When I get, got to the dormitory, I decided I'm not going to zip my mouth in case to fo mo the following morning these things might go away. <laughs> so I spent the whole night, rabo, sha, and there are times I would relapse and I wake up, oh, baba, sha, taba, oh, it's still there. Rabo, she, ndebe, kaya, sha, That is when God gave me John 12, verse 24. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it multiplies. And we're in a group study. So I'm thinking these guys have heard it. And I said, guys, did you, did you catch that? It was Lawrence and my other friend, Lamek. I said, did you catch it, guys? He said, what are you talking about? I said, did you hear what God is saying? Meanwhile, God is talking to me alone. And so I'm going home now. I'm by myself. And God starts whispering. And he says, that was not for them. That was for you. You need to lay down your life. I'm doing readjustments in your life. That's when I gave the testimony I gave during prayer conference that I was then invited for an interview. And in that interview, instead of talking about the assignment, the thing that sticks out on my curriculum vitae is you say you are charismatic Pentecostal. And so the lady I was going to work with says, so do you pray in tongues? And are you one of those that cry when you are praying? And I said, yes, I'm one of them. And so everything changed. And she says, let's talk about that. And so the whole interview session, I'm now defending my faith. And the interview ends, so I go back to Zimbang where I was working. Then she calls me, she says, you're the guy I want. I said, no, I'm not coming there. She says, no. So we go another three months, she calls me, she says, we're still waiting for you. So I look at the difference in salary and perks, it didn't make sense, but I said, God, are you asking me to go? They said, yes, that's your assignment. 
You see, when you have the Holy Spirit guiding and ordering your steps, when you have the Word of God being breathed upon by the Spirit of God, it comes alive. No longer do you have the logos, but now you have the now, the rhema word. You now begin to navigate in this life according to the order of God. That is what the psalmist refers to when he says the steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord. The question is, the question is every day when you wake up, the appointments you are setting up, the people you are meeting, the places, it gets, it gets scary for me. It means God has so much attention to detail. And when I'm complaining at times, it is because I've missed the timing of God. Because as long as I'm in the kairos of God, I experience the restoration of God. That is what Paul refers to in Romans chapter 12. When he says, I beseech you, I beg you by the mercies of God that you present yourself a living sacrifice. Wholly acceptable to God because this is what I call a reasonable service. Or not, your neighbor say reasonable service. In other words, in other words, if you are not presenting yourself sacrificially like that, God cannot carry out the full essence of what should be accomplished with your life. So you may pack at the goodwill of God. Oh, it says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may know the goodwill. So some of you have decided to park at the goodwill of God. It's fine. You can stay there. I used to stay there. I like to be in the pleasing will of God. There are times I go into the perfect will. I wish I could stay there. I have my challenges, but most of the time I'm in the pleasing will of God. And I comfort myself with this. This is my own dear son in whom I am well pleased. When I'm pleasing to the Lord, Isaiah is fulfilled before they call. I will answer, oh, ha, ha. Before you begin to request for that need, it is taken care of already. He is the God of restoration. I have a minute to wind off. My prayer is that you repent if you are here this morning and you have not invited Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. I want you to know that when you were born, it was not when mom and dad decided to make love or the circumstances surrounding your birth. Whether you were a child born out of wedlock, I want you to know God has a plan for your life. I would have shared about Jephthah because when you read the heroes of faith, it says, and we shall not say of many of these, of Samson, of Jephthah. When you go and you study the life of Jephthah, the Bible says in Jephthah the Gileadite was a mighty man of valor, but he was the son of a harlot. Oh my, son of a harlot. And the Bible says he was chugged out of the house because his brother said you are the son of another woman. But because Jephthah was in the will of God, the hand of the Lord was upon him. He was on assignment. Situations, circumstances were created. And the family had to call for Jephthah. This needs none other than Jephthah. And he said, are you sure you're calling me back? What are the terms? Will you restore? That's why I said the ultimate restoration is restoration to the father. He says, will you re-induct me into the family? Will I have my full rights again? They said, yes, and we'll allow you to rule over us. 
if it could happen to Jephthah, and when Paul is writing in the book of Hebrews, refers to the son of a harlot being restored, what makes you think you cannot be restored? If Rahab, the harlot, was restored, and we read about her in the book of Hebrews as a hero of faith, don't you think you have a chance, my sister? Don't you think you have a chance, my brother? May you stop whining and complaining about what should have been. May you accept the reality as the psalmist did. If I had gone to Psalm 77, this is where I would have ended. The psalmist says, but I will remember. He is recalling, he says, I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works and the wonders of old that God did to our forefathers. He says, the sea saw you. The sea retrograded and was surprised. It says the way he was made in the sea. What great a God we serve. And so though he started saying that maybe God has gone out of business just when he needed him, when he, start rec when he starts recollecting, he says, no, I'll go to the sanctuary. No, I'll rush to my daddy because he is not done yet, because he will intervene on my behalf. He begins to reverberate, and so restoration sets in. He is restored. As I'm about to pray, don't think of restoration as just restoration of your health. Don't think of restoration as just restoration of your finances. Those are very temporal things. Ask for the real restoration to be engrafted to the true vine again, to embrace your father again. Because when you reconnect with your father, all these other things will begin to fall in place. That is why the Bible says, seek ye first, seek ye first, seek ye first the kingdom, the kingdom of God. And all these things will be restored. They will fall in place. So we bow our heads as I pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning. We thank you because you are the restorer of our souls, according to Psalm 23, verse 3. You restore our souls, O oh God. It has always been your desire. You loved us before the foundations of the world. While we were yet sinners, you didn't wait for us, Father, to dust ourselves. But while we were yet sinners, you died for us, Lord. Because you made us in your image, in your likeness. And you have given us a mandate so that your name may be glorified. The main mandate, Father, is that we may have kononia, right relationship with you, intimacy with you. That, Father, we may hear your voice and do as we hearken unto your voice. That above all, all glory, all honor, all power, all majesty, may be ascribed unto you. We thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ that he became a case for us. We thank you for the Lord Jesus. He became sin so that we may become the righteousness of God. Thanks for listening. For more teachings and videos, visit celebrationmen.org.